Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Sometimes in an alcoholic marriage, it feels like starting over would be easier. It feels like once we've achieved sobriety, the amount of damage that's been done to the trust that once existed between us is almost irreconcilable. Sometimes it just feels like splitting and finding new partners. Sometimes it feels like that's the only way because the rebuilding is so hard. I don't want a divorce, but I understand better now than ever before why maybe that's the bravest choice. To bite the bullet and find somebody new. I'm not promoting that. That's not what this podcast is about. But I do understand that starting over is an option and it's a legitimate option because the level of challenge involved with relationship recovery is infinitely, infinitely more than I ever anticipated. Do you feel that way too, Sherry? Um, yes, oftentimes I do feel that way. Um, like when we were in early recovery, um, like getting help for, you know, you getting help and me getting help. But when it's come time to help the marriage, sometimes it feels impossible. And starting fresh, you know, sounds like a great option. But with kids it would never be fresh you would always be connected so that's why we keep going sometimes that's the reason you're right the kids and I mean and I love you and I feel like we've gone too we've come too far to turn back yeah I totally agree but when it comes to finding our way back into the worst of the worst pit of despair, pit of relationship despair, take alcohol out of it. We, it's like we left a trail of breadcrumbs and we can find our way back into the pit pretty easily. The title of this podcast is the date of the last time that we were in the pit and frankly, maybe the worst day of our lives. And it's very recent. But the title of this podcast also has the word relapse in it. It's not a relapse, an alcoholic relapse. No alcohol was consumed. Actually, the thought of drinking alcohol never even 
came to the surface. The relapse is the, the relationship relapse back back to where we used to get where it used to we used to get on a regular basis and then in active addiction we would get there every couple of weeks and then in early sobriety that just lowest of low feelings hopelessness that would come with more weeks in between and then eventually with months in between we'd go months between feeling that way and in longer term sobriety it was even further and further between the episodes. It doesn't happen very often anymore. But it's amazing that when it happens, we can still get to that really horrible place. I'm not talking about yelling and screaming and saying nasty things to each other. I'm talking about feelings. I'm talking about emotions. We can very easily drag each other to a feeling that people who haven't experienced an alcoholic relationship, I don't think they they would know what we're talking about. But those who have, they know instantly what we're talking about. So getting back into that pit, it's really easy. Intimacy has been getting better between us. We're recording this during a thunderstorm, and I can assure you that is not fake thunder, and that if you can hear it on the recording, this wasn't, we didn't wait until there was a thunderstorm to record this rather uh, heartfelt and difficult episode, but it is pretty appropriate that there's thunder in the background, because this is a tough one. Intimacy's getting, been getting better between us, but then it stagnated. We stopped making progress. And I called you on it. I called you on it when I, we were at my parents' house for a week of having the whole family together, our family, my sister's family, my parents. I didn't expect it to go bad. I never would have brought it up had I expected it to go bad. But it spiraled. And I think that's the best way to describe what happens when we race each other to the bottom down to the to the pit it spirals out of control and let me just say i've got a lot of insecurity around talking about this topic talking about the topic of intimacy because i am afraid of being thought of as someone who's just just wants sex all the time or wants sex more and more. This isn't about sex. You know, people say it all the time, us included, that intimacy is not just about sex. But I really, really mean it. This, what happened to us on July 14th, 21, it wasn't about sex, it was about growing closer and desiring each other in, yes, a physical way, but it's more than sex. Is that is that fair? Can you validate that for me, Sherry? That that's what I think intimacy is, is sexual desire 
or it's something more. That it's something more. Yeah, it's a lot more. For me, intimacy is a lot more. In fact, for me, intimacy sometimes doesn't have anything to do with sex. It has to do with how closely I can trust you. With my feelings, with my emotions, with my thoughts, with my hopes, with my dreams. And do you feel like the ability to trust me with those things kind of floats in and out depending on how things are going? How much, I don't know, time and attention I'm paying? Or how distracted I get? Or do you think it's been constantly improving? I feel like it's improving, but sometimes we can kind of get into a mundane routine where we're kind of just like, you know, um, more than roommates, but not like intimate in conversations because things are get busy and we don't have time and um, we had kind of been a little bit on the go. And I feel like and there hadn't been those kind of times where we've been able to like slow down and connect, not even just in a sexual way, but connect. I know we still have our talks on Sundays, but I feel like sometimes those had even been a little hurried and um, just a lot going on. So, yeah, I feel like maybe that was just a, a trend sort of going well, you said you said two words that I totally agree with. You know, it, I, for me too, intimacy is connection. For a long time, I thought intimacy was much more closely tied to sex than I than I think it is now. It's almost like, you know, we say in the addiction recovery world that the alcohol that really isn't the problem. There's an underlying problem for which alcohol becomes the, me the medication and something to soothe. But fixing that underlying problem, that's what we need to address as recovering alcoholics. The alcohol is, you know, it's obviously pertinent and it's destructive, but it's not really the problem. And if all you do is stop drinking, you're not solving anything. You gotta fix the underlying problem. And that, to me, in some ways, is how sex is to intimacy. You know, sex isn't destructive and damaging like alcohol is, but it's it's not it's it's like the result of good intimacy as opposed to um, you know the core component of good intimacy. And like you said, sex doesn't even necessarily have to be a part of intimacy at all. It's that connection and. I feel like it's almost like riding waves in the ocean. We'll go for a long time where the connection is good and we're taking time for each other and it's almost like we can finish each other's sentences. And I know what what you're thinking about and I think you know what I'm thinking about and you know there's no stress or trauma or tension between us. And that's when the relationship is at its most intimate. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So my insecurity in talking about this topic is that I'm afraid that I'm just going to be thought of as the horny guy who 
wasn't getting enough sex or wants more sex or thinks sex should be different or whatever. And that that's what this, this latest trip into the pit of despair was about. But it's not. That's not what it was about. One of the things that that happened on this night in question is that, you know, like I said, our intimacy seemed to have stalled. It had gotten stagnant. I didn't feel you, you know, wanting to be with me. In a sexual way or in just a general way? Like, I didn't feel like you didn't want to be eating breakfast with me or, you know, sitting next to me at the dinner table. I don't know why everything is food related. I mean, I, but, but I didn't feel like you desired to be with me. So I guess there is some overlap. I mean, I guess it's sort of a sexual way, but I, I just didn't, I felt like the, the pull that you had toward me for a while had kind of softened had kind of gone away and I'm not blaming you for that because we have four kids and we have very hectic work lives and and other responsibilities and I think it's easy to be overwhelmed by other things and have the pull go away Whether it, whether it, you know, ends in sex or not, and I didn't know this for a long time, but what is most important to me is to feel wanted and to feel, to feel connected. I mean, you and I, this summer have probably laughed and worked t well together and co-parented and done all of that better than we've ever done it before. I honestly believe that. But for a while, you know, in the winter and spring, I felt like you, you were attracted to me in a way that was different than it was this summer. And I understand that I'm probably painting a picture that's pretty hard to understand because I'm saying it's not all about sex, but it is about attraction. Well, those two things are different to me because you and I have had a lot of sex that didn't involve you being attracted to me. And this is about that, that you know, desire for contact and, and attraction. So if I've made this hard to understand, then, then I'm sorry for that. But one of the specific things that happened, we were talking on this evening. I, I, I think we had gotten to the point where I talked about how I felt like the intimacy was stagnant. And you know how conversations go. I don't know. One thing led to another. And we were talking about something that we've talked about many times. How 
your initial attraction to me when we met way back in college was stability. Was that, you know, my my parents were still married and you, your mom had been divorced a couple times and you, you thought, okay, there's some stability there. You thought there was a chance for uh, financial stability too and, and that, you know, that I seem to be on a good path. I don't want to put all put all these words in your mouth. What what are those things that you've talked about that you were attracted? Well, I thought stability because you came from a, you know, a, I thought it looked to me like a great family that was still together, still connected. Um, not saying that divorce creates havoc, but that's just what I saw from my growing up. I also thought, you know, you're smart, you're going to college, you're in the business school at a, a tough university to get into the business school. I thought you're a stand-up guy. I thought you were funny and witty and knew how to have a lot of fun and you took care of people and you looked after people. So I thought you had a lot of great qualities and assets that, um, you know, I just thought would be a great partner to have in life. Things and... Um, when we were dating, um, I remember I had a cousin who had a little little tyke, I don't know, maybe he was under one years of age and it was my grandmother's like 80th birthday and you came, maybe that was early in the relationship and you were playing with the kids and you were really comfortable around my nephews who were in middle school and so like that attractiveness of like the way you got along with little kids. I mean, you coached kids soccer when you were in college um like so it was just like wow look at this guy he's really great and he's really solid and he's very friendly and very polite and knows how to behave and um you know the situations that you're in and when you're me and my family so well I appreciate you saying all that it feels nice to hear it again um but one of the things that you that you didn't say and that you didn't feel one of the things that came out that night a couple of weeks ago in July was that you were never as physically sexually attracted to me as you had been to at least one other person back in those early 20s years and while I appreciate the other, the, the, the solid foundation things, the stability that you sought, although thanks to me being an alcoholic, you didn't get any of that stability that you wanted. Well, I appreciate that that's what you were looking for. You, you weren't physically attracted to me. And so I began to wonder that night I see glimpses of it. I feel glimpses of it where you really want to be with me. You want me to touch you. But it's not there all the time and it seemed to have stagnated and I began to wonder that night if it was even possible on a consistent basis because that attraction to me never existed to begin with. Okay, well, I think that I tried to clarify even that evening that there had been another person that I was physically attracted to, but nothing else. And I chalked it up to just 
hormones and sexual desire and, I guess, animal instincts, I did have an attraction to you. It just wasn't as strong as that person in particular. I know that we, you know, did have sex and I feel like it was, it was good. It, to me, it wasn't like, it was terrible and, you know, so I don't want you to think that. You're talking about with me. With you, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and I just thought that we would just grow and continue to be better together as we aged sort of like wine you know like we would just become a better team and a better partnership and in a better relationship and that I knew that um some of those things just had to had to grow to get better because of working together and listening to each other and listening to our needs so I wasn't in any worried state thinking there wasn't going to be a good sexual connection in our relationship and I had no doubt in my mind that we would be a good partnership throughout our lives but the starting point wasn't it wasn't fireworks I think was the word we used that night yep and then here we are 25 years later or whatever it is and we're still struggling for that connection sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not and I would say that alcohol damaged a lot of it well a hundred percent because I would try to tell you things that I wanted in bed and you were drunk or arrogant act like you knew everything I couldn't possibly know what I liked it made me feel uncomfortable to open up to you. So, yep, here we are. That That's 100% right. I, I guess what I'm, what I'm, what threw me for a loop that night was that just like, just like everything with recovery from alcoholism I was trying to get to a starting point that never existed to begin with I was trying to get back to something that we never had and it was it it took me by surprise and I guess is is there a ton of damage done yes and I want to talk about that and I want to talk about that next but what really surprised me was finding out that and it not surprised me worries me worried me what worried me that night was that we're trying to get this connection we're trying to get it to a place that I guess I was realizing it might not be possible because you just might not ever have felt that way about me and you might never in the future feel about me that way but let's let's talk about and and you know the the fact that this conversation even happened in the dead of the night and this was a night when i talk about going into the pit of alcoholic despair in the relationship even without alcohol being present and hasn't been present for many years now 
this pit of despair, at least for us, I mean, we stayed up all night. It wasn't screaming. It, it wasn't name calling. It was pain, pain for both of us. We talk a lot in our Echoes of Recovery group about mourning the loss of the living or mourning the loss of the relationship we hoped we would have. And that's a big part of experiencing alcoholism. Things just aren't going to work out the way you had planned. And it's painful. And so that's what that night was. We stayed up all night dealing with that. And trying to get our arms around it. And I don't feel like that's an experience that people who haven't gone through something traumatic like this have to deal with. I don't think that's normal. Many, many, many parts of our relationship, Sherry, now are normal. Whether it's a dispute, you know, an occasional dispute over something, uh, trying to parent teenagers, which you know we are way out of my pay grade. I am lost trying to parent teenagers. All of, all of the stuff that we deal with on a daily basis, I feel like for the most part, we're in a normal zone. But when we go into this pit and have a really bad night, that, that's not normal. That's, that's still very, 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 very much alcohol related. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I suppose I feel... I feel like if you don't know that depth that you would never go back there. Or like Yeah. If you can if you can right. If you can have a serious conversation about sex and intimacy and how when you met when you were twenty one and twenty two and then you hope to grow it and it gets better and you realize as you mature things you know, change and you love each other in different ways and you're growing together in different ways and you're finding new ways to be together and feel good, you know, I guess, like, those are easy things that you can, I mean, hard, but things you can talk about without going to that deep, dark place. It's like we just, like, hover around the perimeter, the edge of the deep well. And it's easy just to slip off. You know, I'm, I'm extremely thankful for sobriety and that we both have that as part of our lives individually and as part of our relationship, sobriety. But sobriety, it, it can create, and it has for us, it can create an honesty that leaves no place to hide. And that's what happened that night. And, and honesty, uh, uh, coming together and lining up our understanding of the history of our relationship in many ways, that was so honest that it was painful. And I think one of the main reasons that an alcoholic marriage, even one that's in long-term recovery, is different is because... You've talked a couple of times now about how, okay, here was the starting point. Maybe you weren't super attracted to me to begin with, but you you hoped we would grow together. And maybe, just maybe, if I hadn't turned to alcohol, we would have. 
But I know we would have. I know we would have because I think that you would you would have been more open to receive and you wouldn't have felt the need to hide behind this like overblown ego that you had or you could admit that you didn't know everything about sex and what feels good. Or you wouldn't have just been drunk and smelled like beer. Or I would have been more attracted to you. And I would have been more open to coming up and hugging you and giving you kisses and things like that to make you feel desired. But just on a daily loving, touching, you know, PDA sort of way. Because if you were drunk and I did anything remotely nice or physical touch, like rubbing your back or your shoulders or give you a kiss on the forehead, you had to have some other sort of relief and release. Some sexual contact. Yeah. You know, it strikes me, I've heard, I've heard it said a number of times recently that you know by women this isn't me saying this i've heard it said multiple times by by women being interviewed or or women friends. celebrities our friends <laughs> i've heard it said that our daughter oh i think you and i are going to say different things our oh. daughter hasn't said that what were oh i thought about? you were going to say like that Almost every woman has had an oh. experience of having an unwanted sexual encounter. Yes, that is what I was going to say. Or touching or... Yeah. You know. Almost every woman, woman has had a traumatic sexual experience. Certainly by the time they're, you know, in their 40s. Yeah. I mean, I daughter, the, not so much a sexual experience, but just an inappropriate look. Yeah. Or comment. You yeah. know. So that makes... That makes opening up and connection and intimacy, that makes it challenging. And certainly, you know, in your late teen years and, you know, you, you have had in early 20, you have had experiences that were unwanted and undesirable and traumatic and have set you back when it comes to reaching that level of honesty and vulnerability that it takes for true intimacy and connection. And then when you take that, that that already unacceptable, but sadly really normalized experience that most, if not all women have had, you take that and you pile on alcoholism and alcoholic sex. Like you said, every time you know, you would do anything physical, I would think it was an open invitation while I was drinking. When you pile that on, that's a lot to recover from. And getting intimacy back into the relationship is a massive struggle. For you and I, the reason I think that intimacy is so different from sex is because for you and I, getting sex back into the relationship was never, was never, I mean, we had lots and lots and years and years of really bad sex. So it wasn't about that. 
It was about this connection and this closeness and this desire. And, and recovering that from, from the just normal bad sexual experiences women have with alcohol, alcoholism poured on top of that is, is really, really difficult. But we, ha you know, we have made progress and we haven't talked about this subject in quite, quite some time on the podcast, really. Partially, I know, Sherry, because it's your least favorite subject to talk about. Partially because, gosh, shouldn't something remain private? And this sure seems like a good candidate for privacy. And partially because as much as we try to talk about things in real time that are really happening to us, and that's the things that our listeners connect with, we also try to talk about things that we have a little bit of a handle on before we talk about them. And this is an area where we're still floundering and trying to figure it out. And all the evidence that you and I need is what happened just a few weeks ago on July 14th. So I guess I'm going to surprise you with a little bit of an open-ended question. But prior, prior to when things started to stagnate a little bit, how were you feeling about that connection, that honesty and vulnerability of intimacy? How, how were you feeling about it? But, uh, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. Like, Was it getting better? I felt like it was getting better. Like I said, I felt like <clears throat> maybe we were just getting a little too busy and things going on and people in town and us being out of town. And um, so maybe there wasn't the the time and the buildup, but I felt like I could trust you with anything. And I felt like I could tell you anything. Um, I felt like, I guess I felt like things were going well. I knew that we were not in a sexual way, like doing as much to move that part forward. Um, you know, but I felt like, I felt like everything else, what I feel like is a, good marriage was there. Um, what what, a, what about, and I know this is a dangerous question to ask because I might just get the answer. What about attraction? You talked about how had we not, had I not drank and been arrogant and been manipulative and all of that stuff that the attraction would have come. Do you feel like, and, and, you know, being married to an alcoholic is one of the most unattractive things that can happen to a person because like you said of, you know, all the, the negative characteristics, but alcoholics are smelly and they, they pass out in the middle of 
conversations and they're just not, we're just not attractive humans to be around. And I get that. I accept that. I own that. No problem. I was completely unattractive in your eyes when I was drinking. And I've been sober around drunk people enough now to totally understand why. Understand why that's a really unattractive position for someone to be in. But as all those other things that you mentioned were getting better in the relationship, we could talk about anything. Was there any progress in in attraction? Um, well, for me, attraction is a bit different than sexual attraction. So that's good. I'm glad. I mean, we're, I think we're that, separating. Yeah. So I felt very attracted. I felt very like impressed and proud. And I was like, man, look at this guy go. Like, was all that you were doing? I mean, you had, you know, two sports seasons back to back because of COVID being kind of crazy with your soccer. And you were still keeping up on all this. We were doing our food work. Was there a nonprofit? Like, there was still so much you were doing. And I was like, my God, this is like the Energizer Bunny. He is so impressive. But then he, you know, then we have these good talks. And then I'm like, we're just connecting so well. I felt very attracted to you. I felt like that was what I was, like, looking for. That's what I wanted our relationship to be. And I feel like sexual attraction, yes, I wanted to hold you. I wanted to be near you. I wanted to touch you. But I didn't want everything. I just didn't want all of it to turn into always having sex. And I guess I was getting afraid that... That... Sometimes it would just turn back into that. Like if I were to give you a hug or a kiss and, you know, that it would have to be some sort of sexual act. Maybe when you I was like feeling tired, that that like, like I feel like that was, I feel like maybe, maybe I was somehow afraid that it was going to get back into that habit. But like when we would, when you were drinking. But it didn't. But it didn't. I mean, I'm, I know I'm very defensive right. and insecure in this episode. But I, I feel compelled to defend myself. It but didn't, you're right, right, it didn't. Okay. It didn't. Okay. But then... But you retracted a little bit because you were worried that it would. Yeah, and I guess I just feel like I was too busy to think about sex and my sexual pleasure. And for me, it's something I can kind of live without. It's not something that's a driving force for me and maybe it's because of the trauma in the past I mean and maybe it's an age thing too I don't know like it's just it's just it's something that I just I have to focus on and think about because it just doesn't come natural to me one of the things that I've grown to believe over time is that intimacy is the ultimate vulnerability. And so I'm curious what you think about that, but I mean, 
when we talk about things stagnating, you know, let me put it this way. Talking about emotions, talking about um, the trauma of alcoholism, that's hard. We, you, we, we, we talk to people who, you know, they know that they need to do the resentment work, for instance. They know that they, they need to stop denying and really look at what's, what's happened in their relationship. But it's hard because it's painful work to do. And it's a lot easier just to sweep it under the rug and not to address it. So when I say intimacy is the ultimate vulnerability, is it easier sometimes just not to go there because it's emotional and, you know, that level of openness, that level of trust is hard. It's hard work. It's hard work to trust somebody completely. And especially when you've been burned before for trusting people and you've been burned for, before for trusting much more specifically me. So opening up that level of vulnerability and, and just that complete connection and trust is, is hard. Do you ever feel like one of the reasons that you don't go there is you're just exhausted and you just don't have the energy to be that open. Maybe this question makes no sense. It's entirely possible. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is in, intimacy for us on this recovery journey, I hate the word journey, Intimacy on this recovery journey is a lot of work. It's not constant work. It's gotten much better. This particular night in July, it spiraled out of control in a bad way. But it's gotten better, but it's constant work. Do you feel like there's a lot of work involved in being intimate in that vulnerable way? I guess I feel like for me, it takes a lot to be romantically intimate. I think, perhaps. Because I just shut that off for so long. And that I have not desired that. Okay. And because of just the years of feeling like it was my duty as a wife I feel like it just really it it is a lot I have to constantly work on that I feel like everything else I mean I don't have to constantly work on not being bitchy I feel like even if I'm bitchy with you you like are okay with it you understand I can get grumpy about the kids or grumpy about not even my kid or grumpy at the lady telling me to slow down in the neighborhood and you're okay with it I don't feel like that kind of work happens because this is when I know. This is like my proof now that you were meant to be my partner because we are a good team. And, you know, but I know that romantically I have to work on that. Maybe that's because... You know, 
sex was sex. And with, you know, our previous life and lives. Our alcoholic Maybe. life. Yeah. Or, you know, um, I just wasn't valued as much um, in the 80s. I mean, you could watch any 80s teen TV or teen movie when we were growing up. And, but yes, romantic sexual relationship I have to work on. Well, and the reason and that that's... That is a struggle. The reason this is pertinent to this conversation, to this podcast that's about addiction recovery is what you just said a minute ago. If it hadn't gotten so bad, maybe it wouldn't be work now. But you have so many associations that are negative. And again, it, it doesn't even have to be sex. It, it's just this opening up this connection, this vulnerability. I know I keep using these vague words, but because for so long, if you made any move in that direction, you knew what the expectation was going to be for me. And it had long since any desire that you had or pleasure you had had long since left the relationship at that point. Climbing back and getting that back is really, really hard. Yep. But I think, I mean, I guess here's where I try to put a positive spin. 71421 was a few weeks ago. And you have been working on it in these past few weeks. And I've, I've been doing everything I can to help you. And we've been working on it as a team. And it has been much better. We've climbed out of the pit. And who knows? Maybe, maybe a lot more time will pass before we go back there. Maybe we'll never have to go back there again. Who knows? But, you know, I know relationships are work, alcoholism or not, but I feel like the degree to which relationships are work when you're climbing out of alcoholism, it's more constant, it's more work. The re I don't know, do you think the repair is ever done? Do you think it ever gets comfortable? Do you think romantic intimacy ever stops being work for you? Do you think it ever is just supernatural? Mm. I don't know. Because um, I've never been one for like holding hands or kissing in public or that sort of stuff. So displays of affection, words of affirmation, those sort of romantic notions always seem hard for me. I don't desire them. So maybe it will always be work for me. I know in my heart I'll always feel like I am attracted to you and you're the only person I want to be with. 
is a partner and a sexual partner. So I can't really answer that right now. Because I don't know. I think that I will definitely have to work on it for a while. And it'll have to be something I think about. Yeah. And maybe that's just who I am and I'm not a romantic. And I mean... I know this isn't, like, normally something I would say, but we know how to work together well in bed, uh, you know? Um, but all the mushy stuff, I guess, is makes you feel good, and it doesn't, you know, necessarily do it for me, so I guess I have to work on that. I think that's where the opposite personality sort of... <laughs> kind of play in it makes it hard just well, well you've been through a lot we've been through a lot but specifically in this area this area of of reaching the ultimate vulnerability that is intimacy you've been through a lot you've had years and decades of everything telling you not to go there whether it was being married to an active alcoholic or or even just stuff that happens to a, a, a woman coming of age in the 80s. You've had all kinds of signs that tell you, don't go there, don't open up. And uh, you mentioned, you've met, we've talked a lot about how much work it is. And I just want you to know how much I love you for trying, how much I love you for working. And I don't know why, I don't know why this, this stuff is easy for me. I don't know why. Because I know there's a lot of guys for whom this is not easy. But I am super proud of you and super thankful to you for sticking it out and trying. Yeah. Well, I think it's a very good poignant you know, um statement that you made was that a lot of guys are not into this kind of thing either. So it makes both sides of the relationship feel bad about themselves. The one that feels like they're not getting the love and the the way they feel and the one that has to feel bad because they have to work on it to express that. Does that make sense? You mean... So, like, you don't feel that kind of you know, you don't feel like I love you that way. And then it makes me feel bad that I have to work on it so hard to show it to you. So I think that's why it was so easy to fall into the pit because you were feeling bad because you weren't feeling loved. And I had been doing good for a while and I stopped thinking about it. And then I feel a little overwhelmed 
because I feel like it's hard work and I don't want it to be hard work because I know how I feel. It's just showing it is hard work. And so that makes me feel really bad about myself. So both of us are feeling bad about ourselves. Yeah. Well, I'm really proud of you for talking about this. I know that this... I don't know if this episode's going to be coherent, coherent at all. It's a lot easier to talk about stuff we've got figured out. It's a lot harder to talk about stuff when you're in the middle of it. And you're just trying to survive it. But I think you summed it up pretty well right there. And regardless of what the outcome is, I'm really thankful to have someone like you, someone that's open and willing to talk and communicate and try to go through this with. I love you very much. Thank you. I love you too. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.